Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Podcast, where we help you unlock your potential freedom through land investing, real estate investing, and entrepreneurship. Hey everyone, this is episode 79 of the Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today's guest is Brennan Schlagbaum, also known as Budget Dog, the creator of Budget Dog Academy. I'm your host, Daniel Apke, joined by my brother and business partner, Ron Apke. Brennan, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks yeah, for if you want to go ahead, Brennan, just give a brief background on yourself. Obviously, your name's the Budget Dog. I think it's all in that name, but go ahead, give a brief background on yourself. Yeah, so I um, I, I want to date myself a little bit. So I'm I'm now 30 years old, but this all started kind of when I was 23. And so we were before Budget Dog even came around, or the Instagram account and Twitter account came around. We were going through our personal situation of paying off a bunch of debt. We were in $304,000 in total debt, and we were looking to aggressively get rid of that. And so at that point in time, I was studying for my CPA, I just graduated college, we were just getting married, and a lot of stuff was coming our way, and we were trying to figure out how to get out of this in like as fast as possible. And so we started with my professional background, being able to attack this debt really fast and aggressive. And so now we you know, speed up five years, we were able to pay that off in five years, 304,000. And about three years in, I realized, hey, I, I got something down, I know what I'm doing at least I think I do. Um, I'm paying off all this debt pretty aggressively. How can I help other people do the same thing I'm doing? And so that's where the the or the uh, business stemmed from. And so I was helping people locally and friends and family and stuff like that. And I wanted to reach as many people as possible. So I went online and I started talking about what I was doing. And people were obviously interested because a lot of people are in debt in America. And so I started building a social media presence before it was really a business. And it's evolved into a business with products, resources, and services now that I offer. But at first it was just kind of like, hey, I was talking about this, people were gaining interest. And here I am today, one year removed from my nine to five at Deloitte, because I was working at Deloitte as a CPA manager for six years, and I decided to spin off and do my own thing. And so it was a big jump and everything like that, but it was so worth it. And um, one year removed from my nine to five, I absolutely love what I do. and. Um, I do this every single day. I wake up with a with there a smile go. on my face. That's an awesome background. Three hundred four thousand dollars of debt. You said in five years. That's that's incredible. Wow. Five years. Um, so yeah. to give you a little background on what we do, Brandon, we have an educational program similar to yours with the mission of creating freedom for people, um, but it's revolving around land investing. And our our students come to us needing help and wanting to attain their freedom. Um, they're a lot of times financially locked, financially restricted, and just limited budget and money to spend. Um, so obviously we wanted to bring you on because your budgeting can really help our members and audience. Do you, uh, what's some budget advice, someone just starting out in entrepreneurship, say they, they know they want to get into real estate. That's our background. That's what we do. We have rental properties, land investing, all that stuff. They want to get into real estate. Um, and they joined our program or whatnot. What's some just general budget advice you give to someone just starting out? I'd say the most practical is separate business and personal first off. Um, so a lot of times I get a client coming to me, they're a business owner, self-employed, and they just have like a bunch of a hodgepodge mess of like personal and business together. And it's really hard to get a good game plan when you don't have an organized, you know, set of financials. So first things first is that. And then I think secondly would be the most practical thing would be to do a three month look back analysis if you've never started a budget before and just see what you've spent so far, because I think that's gonna be very telling of what's um, to come in the future and like how to adjust from where you've been. So if you don't know where you're starting, it's really hard to improve upon. And so once you know that starting point, going forward is a lot easier when you have everything wow. mapped out. Wow, so literally just splitting business and personal. So that's the first thing you would do with that. That's really, really smart. And I think Ron and I kind of, um, 
haven't given that advice, that's really good to know for us, I think, just because our mentality is just attack and get in the game. Um, but yeah, you're, you end up looking back in a few months, I feel like, if you don't split that and kind of being a whirlwind of mess, I feel like. Um, but a lot of times what we get, and I'm sure you face the same exact thing in your business, People are trying to save money when they're joining, obviously, because they have that limited budget and they, they're um, not really looking to invest in themselves in a way of like buying a course because you have a course as well. So you're, you're, people are looking for their freedom. They have limited money and they're worried about buying a course. What do you have to say for those type of people? Yeah, so I posted this on my story just yesterday on Instagram is people need to invest in themselves first off. So. A lot of times people are looking at like a course or an online invest or an online purchase is how they term it as like simply an expense and like it's not it's an investment in yourself so as long as you use due diligence you kind of vet the person and you have a you take a calculated risk like it's worth it if it's a hundred dollar course what's that really going to do in the, in the you know grand scheme of things if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out it's a hundred dollars and I understand that's a lot or a little to a lot of people, so that the scale is different. I'm just throwing out a number. But I think as long as you do the proper due diligence, you vet the person and you know, hey, I'm seeking an investment in myself that should ROI the purchase price. So focus on the value it brings, not the cost. Too many people are saying, what's the price? What's the price? And they don't even think about what the value is, which is the whole reason they're purchasing it to begin with. So when I bring people into my academy, yes, it's a high ticket type of deal, but I can promise that as long as you put the work in, you're gonna exponentially return your money. So it's not even about the cost. As long as you can do it, you can fast forward your, your success. And that's what I do personally. So I don't just say, hey, go do that and then not you know, live it out. I just spent $1,000 last week to add to a, a deal-making group. So I'm able to have access and mentorship within a big, big deal-making group where deals are coming my way. So I have the the access that other people aren't gonna have. And I spent $1,000 on that without even questioning it because I knew eventually it's gonna all Yeah, and I, I have an e-commerce background as well. So I've probably bought on Google ads, YouTube ads, I probably bought over 20 courses. We just bought an email marketing one last week for a new project manager. Um, so I'm, I'm all about the courses. That's how I got started my first e-commerce business. I heard a podcast talking about drop shipping. That was my first business ever. Um, and then I ended up buying a high ticket drop shipping course. And that's literally what made me my first wealthy, um, I think journey, honestly, or just financially free journey. So I am hundred percent on your side, but I want to go back to that debt that you had, cause that is a massive number to attack in five years. Um, and I'm sure that took like a lot of hard work to get where you are today. But aside from the work in your actual business, what mindset shifts did you have to have and what work did you have to do on yourself to get where you are today? That was the hardest thing. And so when I do, a, I do my webinar monthly and the first step is get your mindset right. And I know that sounds corny and people are like, oh, you know, it's mindset guru stuff, but it's like, it's actually true. And if you don't have your mindset right, you're not going to proceed with the, the following steps. And so that's the first thing I always have focused on. And it's a constant process. It's not just like, hey, I, I, I mastered my mindset. Now I'm good to go. It's like ongoing. You know, I'm constantly working on myself in multiple different ways. And so once I once I realize that, like, the way I think about things is going to drive the activity that follows, that excites me to focus on the mindset because I know the activity is going to come. I know as long as I'm hungry to learn, I'm curious and stuff, and I'm ready to um, take on new challenges, like the rest is pretty easy. It's just a matter of like doing it consistently. So 
that's the first you know focal point I've always had and I always talk about whether or not people have those limiting beliefs or it's probably holding them back a lot of times um, and I was one of those people so seven years ago when I first started paying off that debt uh, that was a really, it was a big challenge. I was like, there's no way I can do it. Why me? All these kind of things were floating through my head. And now seven years later, I'm like, I've created a business online. Like I've quit my nine to five. I, I've paid off all this debt. Like it's actually possible. You really just have to believe. You yeah. It's like it. that, that hitting those achievements. I think those small wins, well, that's not a small win, but small, like attacking that debt in a small, I'm sure you didn't just start like how to attack that 300 K you had to kind of start smaller and work backwards a little bit. But when you start building up those small wins and wins, your confidence builds and you realize like you can do anything. And the biggest thing in our business, any business, entrepreneurship in general, like you said, is that mind shift. But Ron, I think you're trying to ask a question here. No, you're good. What? Uh, so as you were paying off that $300,000, what was your, was it every dime went towards that? Were you investing in some other real estate or something like that? And then how has that changed now that you have paid off $300,000 in jet and debt? What is your real estate or what is your investing kind of look like? Yeah, so a big portion was for the first year we did 76,000 of non-mortgage debt. And we just crushed that. We really did go straight to we we were pretty tight. We were pretty like strategic about it. We didn't go on a lot of trips. We did a lot of sacrifice. Now, after we got that done, we realized we could like breathe. Like we we're now paying every dollar that came to us actually came to us and we had kept an emergency fund or we are investing it. Um, so we actually paused, this is back when I was 23 and we had some assets built up. We knew we were young professionals with uh, you know upcoming revenues and income and stuff in the future. So I knew, hey, if we paused our debt or our investments for that year, which is very controversial, how would that impact us? And I realized it could take us from about, about two years to about one year. So we did that and we just bit the bullet and we did it. We got rid of it, we bumped our investments back up to 15% of our gross income, and then we started attacking um, the, the emergency fund and you know the 15% was pretty consistent. Then we bumped it up to 20%. Um, then when we were attacking the house, which again is very controversial uh, for that two year really quick period, um, we were investing 20% of our gross income. We did not sacrifice, especially with the mortgage. There was no reason to do that, uh, but we still wanted to pay it off early for many reasons. And now, since we've gotten rid of the home, um, we are at the point where we're investing pretty like leisurely 70% of our, our take-home pay. And so it's not like we're sitting here like, you know, eating beans and rice like Dave Ramsey would talk about. Like we're really, we went on a Hawaii vacation two years ago, you know, and that's not cheap. And so we go and we go, you know, travel, we spend money where we need, we don't cheap out on anything. We, we pay for convenience, things of that nature, but we also save a lot of money because we don't have wow. any debt anymore. Awesome, that's that's incredible. And yeah, that's building it up like that, I think is a safe play to do as well. Um, and especially when it's that volume. What's your kind of advice? Um, I think people, for me personally too, like I, I have a little bit of student loan, but I sure as hell wasn't paying it off over the last two and a half years when there was no interest. Um, but I'm also prepared to pay that again. Uh, what's your advice for those people who, some people might have been overspending and then they, shit, we have a $500 payment that's gonna start in January and it sounds like that's gonna be final um, where it actually starts. What's your advice for those people just kind of save it up now or start paying it now? Um, but uh, I know kind of keeping off of the whole loan payback or the loan cancellation thing, but as far as preparing to start paying again January 1. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is like like anything, if you have a good budget, you know where all your dollars are going, it's going to be really easy to attack that. Now, if you've been living above your means to where like, hey, I haven't 
factored in my my student loan, but I've been living on you know freely up to using all my income at this point in time. You need to take a deep look really quick, like right now, because like you said, like Biden, I think said like this is the last time that it's going to be backed up. So January first is highly likely that it's going to come back and you will be liable for that so don't put yourself in a hole start preparing now now would you start paying or should you start paying now that's up to you that's a personal decision depending on how you like you know you look at the debt you know zero percent if that's okay with you or you're like hey it's a bad i don't like student loan debt i want to get rid of it totally up to you but as far as preparation and making sure the cash flow is going to be there come january is super uh, important yeah i agree completely and there's that's that it scares me a lot with the economy with people overspending or kind of in because they've been given money from the government for one and they also aren't they don't owe money from the government um so it kind of scares me coming then when people and what's going to happen to the economy as people might their expenses are more than what they're bringing in um, which i'm sure is a concern of yours uh, i would imagine what brandon what um we have some members and this is a high risk high leverage type of mentality that people come in when they're super aggressive and they really really low on money and they want out of the hole we've had some members and we do not advise this but it like you said it's kind of a personal choice and we don't get in the weeds with them too much but we've had some members who take out debt to start their entrepreneurship journey um, for real estate what's your opinion on that Um, back and forth on it. So I, I think that most business real estate's different, right? Especially if you're an investor in real estate, it's leverage. And so you're using a lot of leverage with it. Now, typically when I think business, I think, hey, we need to operate from a profitable standpoint before we go and take on debt. Because I think I see a lot of people want to start the LLC or want to start like their their business and they don't have any profits. They don't even have a working business model, but they take on debt before they even like can produce right income and so it's kind of a backwards way of thinking they want to be official before they actually are official i didn't even have an llc wrapped around my name for you know the first couple months until i was actually generating consistent profit so when it comes to real estate it, it you got to know your risk and your leverage meter and so i'm okay with taking on on debt especially for a rental i don't have a problem with that um we haven't gotten to the rental space we were actually actively looking and then we had to take a step right. back because logan's health and that obviously drew a lot of concerns and then we're moving across country eventually. So um, we took a step back from the rental game, but I think as long as you put down a legitimate percentage, I don't, I'm not a big fan of like the FHA three and a half percent loan. Um, I understand it. I get it. We did it um, for a personal residence, but I would feel a little more comfortable like 10 to 20% to be honest um, in something that you can actually, you know, actually afford if in fact you can't get a, a renter. So as long as you plan it out, um, your cash flow is ample and, and you have a plan for it, I think it's a yeah, personal Speaking decision. of um, if it works out when you have a renter, if you can afford it without a renter, one thing I see a lot, especially down here, I'm in the Tampa market actually. Um, I live in Tampa right now and I see a ton of people just budgeting or uh, um, analyzing their properties from an Airbnb standpoint when it's very um, up in the air what Pinellas County where I live right now what they're gonna do with Airbnbs, they're trying to do month-long rentals. So people are taking these rentals, analyzing them like they're gonna get income as an Airbnb when it would be cash flow negative without an Airbnb, just uh, typically, just a typical rental, long-term rental property would be negative cash flow, Brennan. What's your advice for people like that? Cause I feel like um, that's a really, really high, high risk, high leverage, and they're kind of relying on one thing um, that's not really proven over a long-term. Yeah, that's that's not something I would probably um, get into. Honestly, I, I've always operated from a place of like somewhat security. 
Um, but I really like the idea of like securing yourself underneath, then taking huge swings. And so I think you know the the example you described doesn't fit my personal um, way of doing things. I like to have the emergency fund underneath me. I like to have a, a ton of income underneath me, then take the big swing and and, and take that risk. And so it's you know more so calculated in, in a smart yeah, way. Yeah, I'm do definitely things. with you on that. I, I'm really really against people doing what I just explained. I just don't think it makes sense at all. But. Um, for people saving up for their first real estate investing deal, I want to talk about that a little bit. What's some advice on that? Say, um, uh, you know, they're looking for a little small rental in Cincinnati, Ohio, where you're located or that area. What's some advice on saving up? Say they just have a very small savings now. You said you don't like the FHA 3% loans. Um, but what's some advice for people saving up for their first deal? Yeah, so I think the, the first thing is actually understanding the, pr the purchase price and where you're looking at, or like what you can actually afford. And so I typically do two rules of thumb. This is more for personal residence, but it can, I'm sure it can apply to, to rentals as well as like the 25% of your take-home pay. That's more for personal, um, but more so like on a monthly basis, like can you afford that payment? Backing into um, you know that number and then saying, okay, my let's just say my rental is gonna be $300,000 and I'm gonna put 10% down or 30,000. So I need to find how I can get $30,000 over, let's say six months to 12 months or whatever that time frame is, and then just back into it. So it's always starting with the, the purchase price and then backing into the monthly amount based on the down payment or whatever cash flow you need. Um, and it's a really simple process. So if you know your cash flow on a monthly basis with a budget and you know you need 30,000 over 12 months, you know exactly how much you need to save a month. And so maybe if you're, you know, want to speed that process up and you don't have that cash flow on a monthly basis, you take from other categories within the budget to make it happen. But I always value stack my goals within my budget. So it's not right or wrong to do, you know, invest in the stock market or invest in real estate, but you're investing in something, right? So if you want to pull back from stock market investments to get that down payment for that rental real estate, that's totally fine, but you have to know where your cash flow is and then just back into that number. It's Same thing, guys, for everyone listening. If you're saving up for your first land deal, say it's your goal is to buy a $20,000 land deal in your first 12 months, like you said, have that budget and cash flow that you have and then work backwards from there and then put your goal, I wanna buy it in 12 months and then just work backwards. That's really, really good advice. I think that would stick with a lot of people too, Ron. Um, and we did that. We actually did that to elaborate. We bought land. Um, we bought land next to us. So we had um, our personal residence. We had an open lot next door. COVID 2020, March 2020 came around in COVID time. People freaked out. It went down to 17500 And we saved up over a couple months to make sure that we got that deal because it was one next door. It was 17500 in a growing area. And I was like, oh my God, this is so perfect. We got it, and now we're looking to sell it for fifty thousand wow. two years later. So the it's obviously appreciated quite a bit, and um, the panic the panic ensued, and we took advantage of it. And I think that's you know time and time after again, especially right now. I think people are fearful of the market and stuff um, with increasing rates and pricing and all these kind of things. And take advantage yep, of when exactly. people are scared. One thing that's that one, going on. One thing we've seen, Brennan, in our industry is. Uh, as like the real estate market drops a little bit, a lot of people want to put their money in land because one, it appreciates, like it's going to very consistently appreciate and there's so little property taxes as I'm sure you know from owning that. I mean, you're going to make $30,000 on a piece of land. You probably paid a couple grand in property taxes over three to five years or whatever. Um, going back a little bit to risk, 
Uh, so we have people who join our course who are 22 years old, and then we have people who are 55, whatever, 60 years old. Um, and they all have the same goal of making money in that. But as far as risk tolerance that you kind of advise people that are 22 years old, and a lot of the 22 year olds kind of talk about, I'm going to get a credit card to start this business. I'm like, I'm not advising you to do that, but go for it. If you really want to, you really believe in it versus a 55 year old who like needs to be a little safer. They probably have 10, $15,000. Um, what's your kind of mindset on that when you have different age clients like that? Yeah, I think age plays a huge role. I think you're, I think on top of age, it's really assets and like where you sit financially. So somebody that's 23 and has, you know, not a lot to their name, but they're, they're going to take a big swing that's a lot riskier than somebody that's 55 has a ton of assets to their name has a, a great retirement coming their way and they have extra money that comes in and they decide to take a big swing or take some leverage out um in a in an unconventional way per se um now would i do that probably not either way i would never use a, a credit card to start that um but for somebody as long as they they understand um the risk that comes with it um i always say there's nothing wrong with any route you take typically, there's some rules of thumb in finance, but in general, there's nothing wrong with the route you go as long as you have a plan for it. But more times than not, that kind of plan will bite you. Um, and so it just depends what type of risk meter you have and, and what you're willing to uh, put at risk and, and lose. And so I like to operate from a, a place of abundance. And when I have you know a lot of stuff underneath me, I like to take a big swing, but I probably would still do it um, a little more strategically. What did you What did you have in place when you quit your nine to five job? Because I think that actually goes really hand in hand, Daniel, with a lot of our people. Because we have a lot of people who are making whatever eight hundred thousand, hundred twenty thousand dollars, and still working their nine to five. And what we tell them, our advice is: once you feel like that nine to five is taken away from your land income, like uh, that's when we tell them to quit. Like once you feel like you can make more money, like if you can make two hundred grand and work this full time go for it, quit your job. But uh, what's your kind of advice on that? Or I guess you did it personally. And where were you to quit your nine to five? Yeah, it, it takes a while to get to this point. But I think if you can look at your, and it all starts with the budget, of course, like most people think budgeting is restrictive. It's really not. It's a spending plan. And there's how much, you know, how much you're spending on things. If you know your actual like maintenance requirement of income is like $36,000, right? That's all you spend $3,000 a month. You're single, or maybe you're even married. Um, you have to know that maintenance requirement of the bare minimum. When you are operating and in, in building a business or you know land income or whatever that may be, and you're making income on different things that are way above that, I think at that point you start to make a decision. And you start to say, what am I comfortable with? For me personally, I wanted to replace my, my nine to five income with business income consistently for 12 months, and I did that. So I knew you know, with the social media game, I didn't know how consistent it would be. And so I'm very conservative and I was like, well, I need to at least show myself it's it's a business and not just a quick, you know, quick profit type of turn. And so when I saw it 12 months consistently in increasing, I was like, okay, it's it's time to really take a chance on myself and quit that nine to five at Deloitte. I can always go back to get a CPA job. I'm sure I'm in the market and it's not that big of a deal, but I'm also, since I've left my job and I've, I've gained back all that time, I've incredibly increased my, my income from there. So not only did I was I beating it when I was there and for 12 straight months, but since that point in time for the for the next next 12 months, I, I, I've six x my income, seven x my income, and it's been tremendous. But it took a while, so it it was making sure I had that base underneath me and that consistency. It doesn't hurt that my wife 
has income as well from a W-2 job. And so she was, I mean, her job alone could technically support us. And so there was a lot less risk at play when I when I took that leap of nice. faith. That's really how I think having that, uh, me and my wife took a risk like five, six years ago too. It was kind of similar like that. Um, but uh, yeah, it definitely helps having that kind of backstop, I guess, if something does go wrong. But uh, nice. I, I, I think that's really good advice and having that risk tolerance and understanding. Like it's always risky to quit your job without, like without a doubt, you're throwing away some kind of income and it's risky. And I think people understanding that is important. But at the same time, like like you said, you 6x your income. So if you never quit, you wouldn't be where you are today. Exactly. And, and it went against all conventional advice. My parents said no. My, my colleagues said don't do it. Like everybody told me not to do it. And I kept saying like I was measuring the, I was calculating the risk. I was like, it could totally flop, but I could go right back to where I was and I'd miss out on a few months of income. And when I'm 40, 50, 60, what am I going to be more upset about that I failed or that I didn't take that? Exactly. Job? That's a good way to do it. And, um, I, I quit my job. I kept my nine to five job for a while, um, longer than I needed to for sure, but it was COVID. So I was working from home anyways. And it's like, I was able to balance both out, but Ron kind of took an opposite of, approach. He, was a college basketball coach um, and kind of just went in all into land investing. Hey, I had a good savings behind him and stuff. Um, so we kind of understand both sides of the the spectrum here, I think. But it's it's one of the most common questions we get, Brendan, is like, when, when am I ready to quit my job? It's such a personal decision. It's hard to kind of gauge. It's like when you're replacing your income and you're comfortable and you, like you said, you have the consistency there for multiple months and whatnot. That's kind of the key. Um, other than that, Ron, that's that's all the questions I had. Did you have any other questions? No, I think that was really helpful. Like, I think whether it's it's a different industry as far as what uh, what he's doing and what we're doing, but at the same time, like it's very similar. We get a ton of the same questions, and I think the uh, advice and everything from this episode is going to be really helpful for our members, our potential members who might want to take that risk and join and try to learn. Um, but uh, no, I think this was really really helpful. All right. That- yeah, awesome, what, guys. the last question I have is what's what's the most impactful book or couple books that you've read that's really changed your mindset or whatever you want to talk about? So I have one right in front of me, um, Buy Then Build. Um, this is incredible and I'm, I'm working through this right now. So that's acquisition entrepreneurship. So most of us think we have to go buy a business or build a business ourselves. But a lot of this is about like, hey, there's already businesses out there. They've already had to frame the model. Maybe you come in and improve it and things of that nature. That's a really cool book I'm reading currently. Um, a book I've read recently was The Gap in the Gain, and I think that has made the biggest impact on my mindset. I, I'm a pretty high achiever. I'm pretty tough on myself. I, I, I'm always like you know goal oriented and stuff like that. And so I struggle with a moving goalpost. And the gap in the gain, what it does, instead of moving or measuring your success from where you're at until where you're trying to get, it's really saying where you're at and looking backwards and saying how far you've come. And it's shifting your mindset into thinking, you know, from an abundance mindset and think, thinking how great, like how great you've done so far. And so I often struggle with it. And so that's one of the most impactful mindset books I've read. Um, very practical steps out of it too, you know, that you can do on a daily basis to really shift that mindset and have six, real yeah, success. Yeah, that one kind of hit me when you talked about like looking, instead of looking forward all the time, look past. Because it's like you do something so hard for a year or two years straight and you see how far you still have to go and like your goals, like you said, Ron Hour is putting such high goals on ourselves and being pretty hard on ourselves just like you are. Um, but looking back to where we were a year ago, Ron, 
like it's just crazy how far we come just making those small changes every single day and just being consistent with it but other than that brandon where can people find you and learn more about you yeah, you can find me on all social medias for the most part under Budget Dog, um, Instagram, t- Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube. Um, you, I have my website, budgetdog.com. If you guys reach out to me, go on any of my social medias, send me a message. I will always get back to everybody. I always you know, make sure every DM is responded to. So um, just reach out if you guys awesome, need any awesome. financial help. Well, thanks again for joining, Brennan. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone, for joining. To get started and to unlock your potential freedom, visit landinvestingonline.com. Make sure to join our free Discord where Ron and I and other successful real estate investors are involved. If you guys got value from this, please like and subscribe this YouTube video, podcast, Apple Podcasts, whatever you guys are listening on. It really means a lot. Other than that, thanks for joining. We'll see you next episode. Thanks, guys.